This week's Parsha Shear is sponsored by Aaron and Lillian Fuchs and Jason Fuchs in memory of Lillian's father and Jason's grandfather, Irving Glatter. Yitzchak ben Dovber, whose yard site is on the 29th of Nissan. May his neshama have an aliyah, and may we all be zoche to see Trias Hamesim. Parshas Kedoshim is called Kedoshim because it starts with Vayikra chapter 19, which begins with this cryptic commandment. Daber el kol adas b'nei Yisrael v'amarta lehem. Kedoshim tihyu. In English, speak to the entire congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, God, your God, am holy. That's what it says. That's the instruction. Be holy. It sounds so simple. Holy. Be holy. But what does it actually mean? Have you ever thought about it? Be holy. What does it mean? In and of itself... Be holy is actually a meaningless instruction because unless it comes with very clear guidelines, which seemingly it doesn't, what are you meant to do to make yourself holy? Do you need to light candles every night at midnight while eating matzah and saying the Shema? Do you need to find two poor people every day to give charity to while singing happy songs? Do you need to learn dafyomi and also wear titsis made by a tzaddik over the age of 40 who has learnt and is proficient in the Zohar? I, I know, I'm, I'm being a bit facetious, but you get my drift, right? Being holy has so many potential permutations and possibilities. Meanwhile, the blunt unexplained instruction, Kadoshim Tiyu, is so bland as to render it entirely meaningless. Unless, of course, it's given some context. And that is what I want to focus on in this year, together with you. Let's begin our examination of this topic by taking a look at what else can be found in Vayikra chapter 19. Guess what? Chapter 19 is full of mitzvahs regarding interpersonal behavior, from positive commandments such as loving your neighbor and honoring your parents, to negative commandments such as a warning not to be dishonest. There are also some ritual mitzvahs interspersed in there with the social ones. So what is it, what does all of this tell us about Kadoshim Tiyu? One answer can be found in Rashi, and let's look at what Rashi has to say. Rashi on the Posuk, Kadoshim Tiyu, quotes Chazal in Sifra, which picks up on the fact that God wanted this instruction addressed to Koladas Bnei Yisrael, the entire assembly of the Jewish people, specifically because of what the rest of the chapter contains. As Rashi puts it, these are his words, because a majority of the Torah's essential laws are contained in this chapter. But although Rashi is using this to answer the question of why it says Koladas Bnei Yisrael, his answer actually creates more problems than it solves. Here's just one question for you to think about. If you look through the various mitzvahs in the chapter that is introduced by the opening phrase Kadoshim Tiyu, true you'll find a range of assorted commandments with a large concentration of interpersonal directives. 
but there seems to be no clear connection or order. What do any of them have to do with us being Kadoshim? There's something important you need to know. Whenever we see the word Kadosh, Kadosh, or any variation of that word in the Torah, or elsewhere in Nach, it can have many diverse meanings. Sometimes Kadosh refers to bodily cleanliness. At other times it refers to ritual purification. And at other times it means abstaining or separating oneself from things. In fact, that's what Kadosh means. In general, in fact, in almost all cases, Kadusha is associated with a specific, a particular act. But here, in Kadoshim, with reference to the phrase Kadoshim Tihyu, the word Kadoshim in Kadoshim Tihyu, it doesn't have any particular reference. It seems to stand alone. It's a specific instruction, actually, to be holy, generally holy. Why? How does it make any sense? What are we meant to do? I think the idea here, and that's what Rashi means when he says, (laughs) is that gathering the entire nation to teach them this section of the Torah was not about dealing with a specific act of Kedusha. Instead, God, Hashem, wanted us to know that every Jew needs to lead a comprehensive life of Kedusha, which prompts the question, what does such a life entail? So the Torah presents us with a list of mitzvahs that encapsulate this ideal. But why this very diverse list? How do the assorted mitzvahs introduced with Kedoshim Tiyu lead to that Kedusha? All the Torah commentators respond to this challenge. And while their answers are not all identical on specifics, they do all agree on the same general theme. These mitzvahs in chapter 19, they say, are a microcosm of what the Torah expects of us as faithful followers of God's will. In fact, the Rambam understands Kadoshim Tiyu and what follows in chapter 19 as being a summary of the general principles involved in keeping the entire Torah, which is why the Rambam in Sefer Mitzvahs does not cite Kedoshim Tiyu as an individual mitzvah on its own, but rather as a universal commandment, or as he puts it, a general call to keep all the commandments of the Torah and to be holy by complying with all of its precepts and restrictions. Rashi gets more specific than that. He believes that Kadoshim Tiyu underscores the previous chapter in the Torah. Rather than being an introduction to the rest of chapter 19, he suggests that Kadoshim Tiyu is referring back to chapter 18, which lists all of the sexual relationships forbidden by God. In the main, they are incestuous relationships, but the list also includes bestiality and homosexuality. In any event, says Rashi, it is evident that Kadoshim Tiyu is referring to these laws, because wherever you find a prohibition 
regarding sexual relations in the Torah, you also always find a variation of the word Kodosh. And he actually gives some examples to prove the point. The Ramban quotes this Rashi in his commentary, but he disagrees that the Sifram, which Rashi bases himself, is talking about the strict legal application of laws forbidding specific sexual relationships. According to the Ramban, Sifra wants us to know something else. He wants us to know that Kadoshim Tiyu, coming after chapter 18, is to tell you that it is not enough for someone not to engage in forbidden relationships. According to Ramban's interpretation, Gadoshim Tiyu means that one must exhibit overall moderation and abstinence even in things which are permitted so as not to become what we know as a novel birshus hatorah, a degenerate within the bounds of the Torah. The idea of this Kadoshim Tiyu commandment is to tell us that yes, the Torah forbade certain relationships and also certain foods, but at the same time, one can still get married with a spouse, have relations with a spouse, and one can eat a wide variety of food that is kosher, and also one can drink fine kosher wine. The problem is that someone who likes having these kinds of material experiences will find room within the law to constantly engage in, for example, relations with their spouse or to drink countless bottles of the finest kosher wine or they might gorge themselves on kosher cowboy steaks and kosher charcuterie boards. Because let's face it, none of these things are prohibited by the Torah. But if someone does that, while they may be sticking to the letter of the law, they are in danger of becoming degenerate, namely a novel Bishusatoira. Which is why Kadoshim Tiyu, you shall be holy, appears in the Torah immediately after the details of forbidden relationships and came earlier, forbidden foods. The Ramban is teaching us that the meaning of Kadoshim Tiyu is that we need to think beyond just observing mitzvahs, behind the explicit directives relating to mitzvahs, there is a vast area of unwritten requirements which, if we are sensitive to them, will ensure that we live a life of holiness. The specified prohibitions, says the Ramban, are followed by a general call for restraint even when we do the things which are permitted. In other words, we should limit relations to the fulfillment of the mitzvah of Puravu, and we should refrain from overeating or excessive wine drinking, which is why the Nazarite is referred to as holy by the Torah. We should also shun gluttony and inappropriate talk. And, you know, we are all prone to inappropriate talk, as the prophet Yeshaya says, v'chol per doiver nevola, every mouth speaks obscenity. And the reason we should do all of these things 
is so that we achieve a high level of personal purity. I, I saw a beautiful explanation of what the Ramban is saying. Kedoshim Tiyu is actually a third category of mitzvahs. In other words, it's not Ben Adam Lemakim, laws between man and God, and nor is it Ben Adam Lechaveri, laws between people and how we behave towards others. Instead, Kedoshim Tiyu is in, in a unique category of its own. What is that category? The category of mitzvahs ben odom la'atzmai. Mitzvahs of personal responsibility and character development. In order for an individual to maintain control over his desires and to succeed in their faith development, they must develop a purified personality. And if they achieve that objective, this will enable them to regulate their Bain Adam Lemakim and their Bain Adam Lechaveri, their behavior in both of those areas as well. If we embrace the spirit of the law, we will observe the letter of the law. According to the Ramban, this is what the Gemara means when it says in Yavamas Daf Chof Amud Aleph, Kadesh Atzmecha Bemutalach. Sanctify yourself by that which is permitted to you. A person can develop a holy personality by modeling their character in the model of God's holiness. Do you know who the holy people are? The holy people are those who use the physical, material world, but are never owned by it. Every material, every aspect of the physical, material world has good in it that the Torah allows us to unlock in a very particular way. But we can only unlock it as it should be if the spirit is maintained and not contaminated by excess or selfish, self-serving lust. Rav Shamshin Raphael Hirsch offers a very detailed analysis of the order of the portions and laws in Vayikra, and he explains how Parshas Kedoshim relates to the preceding portion, Parshas Achreimais. Kedoshim follows the chapter on sexual immorality, says Rav Hirsch, and it outlines in concise principles the character of a holy Jewish life. These mitzvahs are the principal laws of a society that is built on the basis of God's justice. This is why the chapter begins with honoring one's parents, which is the cornerstone, the foundation of all morality. And this is also why the social commandments introduced in this chapter instruct us regarding character. These mitzvahs, if properly observed, train a person to be sincere and upright, to be brotherly and forgiving, and they base the life of society on the love of our compatriots. Rav Hirsch offers an insight that is incredibly powerful and so incisive regarding the realities of human existence. The virtues encapsulated by the directives in chapter 19 cannot ever be properly enforced 
by any kind of government or state power. Failure to practice them is unlikely to ever be penalized by any human court because you can't force people to respect their parents because you can't force people to properly keep Shabbos. After all, in private, people can do whatever it is that they want to do and nobody will ever know because you can't force people to be socially conscious and leave, let's say, some aspect of their harvest for the poor and the needy. And because you can't force people to be honest if they feel, and they're dishonest, that they can get away with dishonesty. All of these things, and the others in chapter 19, depend on people regulating themselves and being mindful to do what's right. What chapter 19 is doing is telling us, Kadoshim to you, you can be the best version of yourself. You truly can by not slipping into bad habits. The mitzvah of Kadoshim to you is a command to strive for the highest degree of human moral perfection. Every person is summoned to attain the highest level. Kadusha means to be ready and willing to perform anything good. No one can accomplish this virtue unless their whole being is so steeped in morality that the opposite of good, namely the inclination to do bad, no longer has any place within their being. Kadusha is attained through gaining control of all of one's powers and faculties and over all the temptations and inclinations associated with them. In all things, we must always be ready and willing to do God's will. Kadoshim Tiyu is the platform for that to happen. And just like any other accomplishment in life, being a Kadoshim Tiyu person, getting to the pinnacle of morality, can only ever be attained through practice. You have to train yourself to have moral willpower. The Urachaim addresses the question of why the Kadoshim Tiyu concept is specifically addressed to Koladas Bnei Yisrael, to everyone. Hanochoin Be'enai, says the Urachaim, what makes sense to me is that until now Moshe had not taught the commandments directly to the women of the nation. He had only ever spoken to the men. And even when he addressed the people at large, it was only men. But in this instance, God ordered Moshe to speak directly also to the women and even to the children. The Arachayim is teaching us that the Kadoshim Tiyu imperative is not something which is just limited to men. And even though there are many other mitzvahs that women need to observe, they were only previously addressed to the men. And I guess the men told the women, but this one is just too important, which was why everyone needed to hear it directly from Moshe himself. Rav Moshe Feinstein in Dorash Moshe explains that the word Kadoshim was used here to teach us that even mitzvahs that deal with obligations between people, such as honoring one's parents and refraining from theft and robbery, must never be observed just for humanistic reasons. 
or so that society can function better, which is why Gentile societies also have rules and laws about respecting parents, morality, and social consciousness, because they're humanists. They want the society to run properly. But in our case, that's not the reason for it at all. Rather, the reason we must stick to these rules, says Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, and these laws, is because they are God's commands. They are God's directives. They are mitzvahs given to us by Hashem that make us into Kadoshim when we observe them. For example, do you know why we have to respect our father and our mother, even if we may be, let's say, higher achievers than them or somehow superior to them? Because we wouldn't be here without them. Hashem wants to inculcate into ourselves, into us, the idea of hakarasatoiv, of thankfulness, of appreciation, which is a sublime quality. It's not sentimentalism. It is core to who we need to be. We also need to realize that charity, the charity we give to the poor, is not a gift given benevolently by those, uh, those of us who we want to patronize with our kindness. No, no. Charity rightfully belongs to the poor. And if we do not give it to them, we are robbing the poor of what is rightfully theirs. The thing is, all of this can only be understood properly if we are Kadoshim Tiyu people. It's as simple as that. The point of Kadoshim Tiyu is that Kadusha, holiness, must be considered the guiding principle of Judaism. It represents the highest ideal that an individual can ever strive for. According to the Torah, all the mitzvahs we have were given to us so that we can be a goy kadosh, a holy nation. Being kadosh involves distancing ourselves from the impurities that accumulate in the hustle and bustle of daily life. An important consequence of adopting holiness, this is interesting, as our central motif, is that we treat sacred objects with care and with reverence so that we maintain their aura of sanctity. For example, a Torah scroll, it's not inherently sacred, it's just a roll of parchment with writing on it, but it becomes holy because of our attitude towards it. Jewish law prohibits touching the scroll with our bare hands, as that's just too casual. We touch books, but we don't touch a Torah. Rabbi Norman Lamb, in his book of Droshus, shares a brilliant story that illustrates this exact point. It was some time during the interwar years, an American college girl was off for the summer, and her father took her on a tour of a bunch of European cities. One of those cities was Bonn in Germany, where Beethoven was born, the composer Beethoven. And there is a Beethoven museum in Bonn. The girl, an avid piano player, was very excited, especially when she saw the original Graf piano that was once owned and played by the great composer himself. She approached the piano, sat down, and began playing a piece of Beethoven music that she knew by heart. After she finished playing it, she asked the guide if all the greatest pianists of Europe came to play on Beethoven's piano. 
The guide grimaced and said, No, absolutely not. No great pianist ever plays the piano. In fact, just last week, Ignacy Paderewski was here and he refused to play on this piano. He said he wasn't worthy enough to touch Beethoven's piano. The takeaway from the story is simple. People who truly understand the value of a precious item know that it must be treated with respect and awe. For the American college girl, the Beethoven piano was just, uh, I don't know, a conquest, a whim, an impulse. So she played it. She felt on par with this great object. But Paderewski, the great pianist, felt unworthy to touch Beethoven's piano because he understood just how extraordinary it was. The same is true, Lahavdil, of a Sefer Torah. If we understand just how extraordinary a Sefer Torah is, how could we ever touch it? We wouldn't, and we don't, right? Holiness cannot be taken lightly. This is part and parcel of the Kadoshim Tiyu ideal. Whether it's a synagogue or it's tefillin or any other sacred object, it needs to be treated with the utmost respect. But how does one attain holiness? What do we do to achieve this state of exaltedness and elevation? Can it, can it just happen by chance? Of course, the answer is no. Holiness is not something that we will get somehow passively, without effort. We need to take action to get it into our lives and into our psyche. We need to be determined to get it. And Judaism offers us the perfect analogy to deliver this point, says Rabbi Lam. If you compare the two mountains that hold significance in Jewish history, Mount Sinai in the Sinai Desert and Mount Moriah in the heart of Jerusalem, you discover something remarkable. Mount Sinai was the mountain at which the Jewish nation gathered and waited for three days until God descended upon it in a dramatic pillar of fire. It, it was a dramatic and historic event. God delivered the Torah to an eager nation in one of the most dramatic and exciting moments of human history. On the other hand, the history of Mount Moriah is quite different. It revolves around Abraham and his son Isaac. God is barely mentioned with regard to Mount Moriah in the story of the Akedah. Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his beloved son Isaac, Yitzchak, on top of the mountain, on this Mount Moriah. Abraham must have wrestled and struggled in anticipation of what he was about to do, but he journeyed to the mountain, took his son to the summit, lifted his hand with a knife in it, after tying his son to an altar, ready to carry out God's wish and sacrifice his son, until an angel intervened just in time, telling Abraham that he had proven his loyalty to God. In contrast to Mount Sinai, where God descended to meet man, 
Mount Moriah represents a different story. Man rose up to meet God. This is why Mount Sinai was never considered holy by the Jews. And today there's a Christian monastery on top of that mountain. I just finished reading a book about some of the ancient literary treasures discovered there in the late 19th century by two eccentric Scottish sisters from Cambridge who travelled there. They were there six times. The book is called The Sisters of Sinai. It's worth reading. What struck me about the book is that they never found anything Jewish there. Everything was purely Christian and not once did they encounter any Jewish pilgrims at Mount Sinai. Meanwhile, Mount Moriah, which we call, of course, Harabais or Temple Mount, remains at the very centre of our religious consciousness, where the Beis Hamikdash, the Holy Temple, once stood. What does this teach us? It teaches us that attaining holiness means us working hard to reach a state of being that is higher and nobler. We have to be detached from worldly temptations. It doesn't come automatically. It requires hard work. At Mount Sinai, we did nothing. We were passive. But at Mount Moriah, Abraham set the example of doing the utmost that he could. And it may have been called off at the end, and it was. But he taught us that striving to do his best, to be holy and get close to Hashem is the most powerful lesson that anyone could ever learn. It was more important, as it turns out, than doing the actual mitzvah, which in fact he never even did. But the question remains, how, how does one do it? How do I do it? How do you do it? How does a person rise to that level of holiness? What motivates a person? to work that hard to obtain holiness? The answer is simple. We need to challenge ourselves. When the Torah tells us Kadoshim to you, to be holy, it doesn't mean that we need to be a hermit or, or a recluse and live in a remote setting without the world distracting us. Kadoshim to you doesn't mean that we have to run away from life. Rather, it means we must accept life and everything it offers us as a challenge and we need to confront it on its own terms, face it and rise up above it. Kadoshim Tiyu, it's not about escapism but about active involvement in life as a technique for attaining holiness. Chazal made a profound observation. They note that in Sefer Doniel, which talks about the heavenly sphere, Heaven is mentioned as possessing holiness only once, whereas when it comes to the world we live in, our world, this physical world, on two occasions the Torah commands us to be holy, Kedoshim to you here in Vayikra chapter 19, and then on another occasion it says Vahiskadishtem, that's in Vayikra chapter 11. The explanation of Chazal is that in heaven, where there is no Yetzirah, holiness is mentioned only once. But on earth, where we human beings face the challenge of the Yetzirah, the combined challenges, as it were, of temptation, ambition, 
greed and everything else. Holiness is mentioned twice. Because not only is holiness necessary to combat the Yetzirahara, but the Yetzirahara itself serves as the challenge that spurs us towards greater holiness. Just like a rough stone sharpening the blade of a sharp knife. Chazal illustrate this idea with the story of a king who appointed guards for his wine cellar. Half of the guards were teetotalers who never drank alcoholic beverages, while the other half were party animals, massive boozers. Obviously, no one drank while they were on duty, but at the end of the day, the king paid the boozers twice as much as the teetotalers, because, as he explained, it required twice the energy, perseverance and willpower for the guys who loved drinking to resist the temptation to taste the wine. It may be easy for a person who has everything, for example, let's just another example, to keep Shabbos. Got everything, you can keep Shabbos. But while such a person, a person who has everything, who keeps Shabbos, may be considered a good Jew, it doesn't necessarily make them holy. But when a poor person who could go hungry if they don't work on Shabbos chooses to observe Shabbos, that person, that person is truly displaying holiness. They have faced the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, and they have conquered it. Such an individual possesses a double measure of holiness, making them even holier than other people. Of course, it goes without saying that those who have material wealth have their challenges too. And you know what? When they face their challenges down and conquer them, that is their Kadoshim Tiyu moment. Everyone has their own personal Yetzirah and their own personal vulnerabilities. And every one of their vulnerabilities is an opportunity for Kedusha. Being Kadosh, whether it's a mitzvah or just an aspiration, is part and parcel of what it means to be a Jew. A central theme that runs through not just every mitzvah, but through every aspect of our lives. That is why everyone needed to be told about it. And that's why we still all need to know about it, even today. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you if you were listening. And just remember, Kadoshim to you. Thank you.